Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. I think it's so neat that you're able to join us through this medium, and it means so much to me personally to hear that this has been used to encourage so many of you. It has always been the posture of Genesis to tangibly extend the love of Jesus in various ways, both locally and across the world. We support programs that assist families in need, contribute to ongoing works and building projects in Mexico. We've built a latrine and cafeteria for St. Andre's School in Haiti, as well as are advancing a food program there that we hope will help feed the children for years to come. The money collected for all these endeavors could have paid for a facility of our own many times over, but instead, we've intentionally chosen to be a mobile community since we began. We now have before us an opportunity to invest in a building of our own. We're not doing this, however, without considering the works we're committed to or even the works we feel compelled to keep doing in the future. But we're asking, if you've benefited from this podcast or from anything that Genesis has done, would you consider partnering with us by donating to this work directly at www.thegenesisstory.com and click on the Building Fund tab. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Together, let's prepare for an amazing tomorrow. Thanks, and God bless. We are continuing our series that we're entitling Friends, and, and really it's going through First John, and the reason we've entitled it Friends is because John considered himself Jesus's friend, if not best friend. He, he refers to himself in the gospel as the one whom Jesus loved. And so most scholars believe that John was one of Jesus's best friends. Peter, James, and John are seen throughout the Gospels as with Jesus, but John seems to have this kind of sense that he was there close. He was next to Jesus at the Last Supper. There's all these things where he identifies himself in this intimate way with Jesus. And what John is doing in this epistle is writing as he is older. He is in his later years. It is Grandpa John's kind of, so to speak, at this. And he's shooting straight, right? In the New Testament, there are some 5,400 plus vocabulary words that is used in all of the New Testament. But in First, Second, and Third John, there are only 303 vocabulary words used. Because John is calling it like it is. He's shooting straight. He's that grandpa who's just saying, just marry him already, right? He's a good guy. Why don't you marry him? Are you married yet? You know, that kind of a person. No, grandpa, thank you, though, for embarrassing me in front of him. You know, that's what John is doing. He's shooting straight, telling us like it is. The things that are very important. And so First John chapter 2, we're going to read verses 7 through 14 to get started. 1 John 2, 7 14. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new commandment that is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says, I am in the light, while hating a brother or sister, is still in the darkness. Whoever loves a brother or sister lives in the light, and in such a person there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates another believer is in the darkness, walks in the darkness, and does not know the way to go. 
because the darkness has brought on blindness. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven on account of his name. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young people, because you have conquered the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young people, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. And Lord, we do pray that you would give us insight into these words. And Lord, I pray that they would provoke us to a deeper relationship, a deeper friendship with you. We do ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever been bored? <laughs> I am right now, as a matter of fact. I know it's a strange question to ask early in the morning, but, you know, boredom is such an unusual thing. It's something that happens more often with kids, right? In fact, one of Randy's kids this morning said, I'm bored. He came in there while Randy was playing and, and he is just sitting here waiting. You know, because this idea of boredom is this, you don't have an engagement in something. I mean, it really means to be unoccupied. But for kids, that's boredom. For adults, that's vacation, <laughs> right? To be unoccupied is like, sign me up. I would love to be unoccupied right now. And it's kind of funny, depending on your stages of life, what that looks like to you, because sometimes it's like, well, I just need something to do. And sometimes it's like, I just want to do nothing. And, and John here is writing because he is coming to a place where there are people in the church who are, in a sense, bored. Bored with this idea of who Jesus is and what Jesus has wanted us to do. And they really want more. Remember, he's writing this to, to deal with some of the things that are taking place in the church where people are saying, well, that's great, we have Jesus, but there is more. There's the more spectacular. There's something deeper than the things that you have. And John says, wait a second, I was there. I was his best friend. I'll tell you what's really important and so that's really what he's doing as he starts and he tells us, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. In other words, there is nothing new here that I'm telling you. This is something that's been revealed. It's been disclosed. You know, if I, I'm being honest and disclosure, one of my fears as I teach is being too repetitive. John only used 303 words in three epistles. I've used more than that already, I think. And, but I, I worry about, okay, the same story. Am I telling you the same story over and over again? Am I saying the same things? But really, what else am I going to say, right? I mean, if I tell you that Jesus loves you, I'm not going to tell you something different. I might say it in a different way, but it's really these stories that are giving a revelation of who God is. And so sometimes I worry, like, are you guys getting bored? You know, because I, I don't have a new story. And that's why I hope to have an ongoing dynamic relationship with God so that new stories 
develop as things happen in my life, which really is the point that John goes on to later on. He says, yet I am writing a new command. What? You just said you weren't, but now you are. What are you saying? And what he's doing is he's telling, he's writing us a new commandment that is true, notice this, in him and in you. Because the darkness is passing away And notice the tense, the true light is already shining. In one translation, the message translation, it says that the the light is blazing. I love that. So, So this new commandment isn't that it's new information. What's new is that this work, this command that has taken place is also taking place in you, that the darkness is passing and the light is already shining. The light is shining here and now. You see, people were leaving the church because they wanted something new. And oftentimes, if you're bored, it's because you haven't realized what really is there, right? Maybe you've heard this or been told this when you were a kid. If you say you're bored, well, the only people who are bored are boring people, right? If you have an imagination, you can do anything. It's like, okay, but you're crazy, Dad. So, you know, that doesn't work for me. You see, but God is merciful. There's nothing new here, yet his mercies are new every morning. And so knowing about the mercy isn't new, but experiencing the mercy can be new, can be fresh, can be alive, and it's something that is taking place in you. Are, Are you walking in that mercy? It's kind of like a river. If you look at a river, it's like, oh, that's beautiful. And if it's like a, a rushing river, oh, that's, that's wonderful. But it'll get boring just to look at it. But you get in it, you get in a raft, and now it's interesting. Because now it's actually carrying you. Now you're actually a part of it. And you see, the new command isn't that God is doing something. The new command is that God is doing something now, not only in him, but in you. That the darkness is passing and the light is now shining. It's blazing. Romans 8, verse 11, it says, in this, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also through his spirit that dwells in you. So you are to have this life, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. That's pretty exciting. Okay, that's an exciting event. That should be something exciting to happen to us. I should be excited, right? The same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in me. Okay, I know that now. Are you experiencing that? Is it happening? Is the life of God being flamed within you? Colossians 1.27 says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. You see, it's important to realize this reality that the darkness is passing and the light is already shining. This is the reality that we are to live in. But so many times I find myself and I hear from other people who are followers of Jesus, oh man, I can't believe how bad things are. Look at the elections. Someone is going to be disappointed with whoever wins. Maybe you'll be disappointed if either of them win, right? It's like, uh, uh, man, this is bad. I can't believe. Do you realize that the darkness is passing and the light is already shining? 
do you realize that this is the reality you live in? That there is this new commandment that is in you, that the darkness is passing and the light is shining. How, how is that taking place? Well, what is that light? John chapter 1, verse 5, the light shines in darkness and the darkness did not overcome it. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. This is the new commandment that the light is now in you and is shining right now. Or maybe the question is, is it? Is it shining in us so that we don't have to be afraid of the darkness? I don't have to worry about the election. I don't have to worry about the terror that is in the world. Oh, I know that it's there. Oh, I'm concerned, but it is not going to overcome the light that is now shining through God's people. See, this is an understanding where sometimes I feel like we want to know information. We want to experience things, but we don't want to really live them out in our lives. I, I can remember counseling this one couple and, and was a husband and wife. And the husband was just so, I don't know how to say this and not sound so judgmental because I am being judgmental right now. Uh, he was just so condescending to his wife. And what it was is, well, I'm in the word. And he would say it like that. I'm in the word regularly. And I go to church all the time and she doesn't go to church at all. You know, I know the scriptures and I'm doing a study right now on the last times and I can't wait for Jesus to come back and this. And he's telling me all the stuff he knows. And I was like, yeah, you know all this stuff, but you don't know how to love your wife. You know, I've never had a couple come to me in counseling and said, we're having problems. And I say, oh, what's the problem? Well, we're not sure about the end times. You know, he's pre-trib, I'm post-trib, and we're really dealing with some issues here. I've never had those kinds of problems. I never had relational problems that are based on eschatology. Well, there might be disagreements, but no one ever comes to me and says, oh, yeah, we can't get along because of their belief in this area. It's usually in a relational aspect where they're not actually acting the way they should. And this husband, with all his knowledge of the Bible, treated his wife like dirt. How can you know so much and be such a jerk, right? I mean, I'm just saying that because I, I don't know about you, but I think that sometimes. I'm like, man, you know the Bible, but man, you're an idiot. I don't want to be that. I don't want to be that person. And John is writing nothing new to us, but what's new in us. And this is what's new. The darkness is passing and the light is already shining. He goes on and he says, anyone who claims, right? He's talking to them. He's trying to get them to understand these things. Anyone who claims, calling out those who were making claims about Jesus that were inconsistent with the reality that John knew about Jesus because he was there with him. And so he's trying to get them to see whoever says, whoever says, what? I'm in the light. I, I know Jesus. While hating a brother or sister, 
still is in the darkness. And he's going to be moving us into some very practical things. These practical words. It's not this informational understanding. It's this practical knowledge. It's not the, hi, Jesus, you're at the front door. Oh, I'm so glad that you came. Thank you. I'll take the package like the UPS guy, sign it, and and then you're on your way. No, Jesus is coming in the house, going through the living room, into the kitchen, and opening the fridge. Okay, you ever had those people come into your house? My boys, when they were living at the house and they had their friends, someone would come walking in there. Your son, Maria, was one of them. And he'd come in there and he'd open, he'd open the freezer and he'd get the frozen burritos, the chimichanga burritos, and he'd pop one in the microwave and, hey, Mario, how's it going? And it was just like, hey, you're not much. He'd sit down and have, he was friends and it was welcome. Okay? Jesus is coming into the living room, into the kitchen, opening the fridge, getting a frozen burrito, putting it in the microwave, sitting down saying, let's talk. That's what John is wanting to get to, some kind of practical application here where this isn't just about what you believe. This becomes something about who you are and what you do. Remember that John isn't writing about forgiveness here, but about friendship. Those who are forgiven weren't moving into the deeper relationship of friendship. What they were moving into is more of an experience about or information about, but not relationship with. The new command is nothing new. What it is, is it's in you, shining. And so John is trying to get them to see what is important here. Okay, the essence of Christianity is not about forgiveness, it's about friendship. The whole purpose of forgiveness is to bring about relationship, communion, fellowship with God. It was God's design in the garden with Adam and Eve. It wasn't just, I'm going to design you so I can forgive you one day. No, it was so he could have fellowship with us. That was the purpose, and that still is the purpose. From the garden till now, it's all about drawing us into that friendship, that communion with God. Forgiveness is to bring us into something more. We're not to stop there We're to push into it. And verse 10, he says, whoever loves a brother or sister lives in the light. And in such a person, there is no cause for stumbling. And when I saw this, the translation I'm using, it says brother or sister. Your translation might say brother. That's why I went to this translation. But now, anyway, that's a whole different thing. The whole idea here is to love your brother or sister. And I started thinking, well, but it's not just for, right, the church, right? This is for the world because God loves the world, right? And we're to love everybody, right? But what John is talking about here is actually for the church. What he's talking about here is if you don't love your brother or sister in the church, then something is wrong in you. It's real quiet in here right now. And that's hitting home. And so he tells us, if you love your brother or sister, you live in the light. And such a person, there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates another believer is in the darkness, walks in the darkness, and does not know the way to go because the darkness has brought on blindness. Brought blindness. John wants to know 
if you love people in the church. Now, I don't know what that does to you, if that gives you some angst. Because when you think about church, right, how many churches are there in Upland? Right, we know that. There's only one. Okay, good. See, that's one of those things I've said before, and now here it is. There's only one. Have you ever met a Christian and said, I don't like Christians? And then you said, but I am one? Anyone? I'm just being honest here. It's like, oh, man, that person is so abrasive. Oh, man, that person is so whatever. You fill in the blanks, and you think, oh, man, they just rubbed me the wrong way. And you think, I got to love them? You see, hate is an important word, and we have to kind of describe that word that he's talking about here. Hate is not an altercation you have with someone, you know, against your favorite sports team. Or you go outside and you get in a car accident, and you tell the person there's only one way to God with a certain finger, okay? that's not hatred. It's, it's happened, okay? I told this story too before. My brother was driving one time. He's a pastor at a church and he saw one of the members at his church and he honked to get his attention and wave hello and the guy flipped him off, right? Okay. Oh, hello. Okay, hate, hate is not just an altercation. No, it was no one here in this room, okay? Hate is not just an altercation that you have someone. It's a continual lifestyle of ill will. It's to despise someone. Think of it as you love someone less and less and less. It's a movement away from restoration, a movement towards despising. Where you hate that person, it develops a lack of love more and more and more for that person. You should be able to live with any understanding of going to a place and encountering someone. In other words, I should be able to go into a room and there's any other brother or sister in that room and I'm okay. I don't go, oh, they're here. We got to go. We got to go. I am not going to be in the same room with them, right? Okay. That should not be happening. Now, you might go into the room and go, they're here. Right? I mean, it doesn't mean you don't have that tension. But you see, you should have forgiveness and the ability. Love should be big enough in your heart that you can move forward into restoration instead of, I'm out of here. I cannot stand that person. Because that's the practical truth of those things. I've had people come up to me and and say, Yeah, I, I had to leave the church. And I say, oh, why? Well, because I broke up with my girlfriend and she still goes there. I'm like, okay. And then I play that out and I go, what if you break up with a lot of girlfriends? Will you have any churches you can go to? Right? It's like, eventually, what's that going to do to you? It's like, do I have to leave every time? Or maybe you should stop having so many girlfriends. I don't know. But the conclusion to that mentality is pretty soon you have no place you can go because anytime there's an altercation you just leave you just move away from those things 
And you see, if you hate, it moves you away from. But he says, if we love our brother and sister, the light then is in us. We live in the light. In such a person, there is no stumbling. That love, the word agape that's used there, it's sacrificial. It doesn't mean you have to feel all warm and fuzzy. It doesn't mean we have to hang out and play foosball together. Foosball, where'd that come from? You know, I don't know when I played foosball last. Ping pong, you know, um, whatever. You don't, you don't sit there and hang out with that person and you're, you're besties. It doesn't mean that, but it means you are giving possibility for that person and for you to grow and to grow. And just like hate will make you love less and less and less. Love helps you to grow more and more and more, even towards that person. If you don't forgive or if you hate someone, you're not as close to Jesus as you think you are. That's what John is saying. You say you're close. You say you're friends with Jesus, but if you hate people who are part of his family, you're not that close to him. I know because I was there. I was close to him, and that's not taking place. I love verse 10 in the Message Bible. It says, it's the person who loves brother and sister who dwells in God's light. Isn't that beautiful? And then look at this, and does not block the light from others. See, when you hate someone who is a part of the church, you actually block the light from others. You actually hinder someone from seeing who God is because you're standing in the way. What you're doing is blinding them from what is true. I don't know about you, but that hurts that my lack of forgiveness can actually block someone from seeing the truth. If I become one of those Christians that someone looks at and says, I don't want that. And it has to do with this division and this condensation that takes place in the church. Paul, throughout his epistles, wrote more about unity than about sanctification and justification combined. It's not that we have to just have one church. We have a variety of churches because we have a variety of people. And if you go to a Pentecostal church and like to speak it up in tongues, go for it. And if you want to wear a suit and tie, go for it. I need to see you both as my brothers and sisters. I do not have the right to condescend you. I can disagree with how you do things. I disagree with my wife sometimes. And then I confess my faults and, and repent. <laughs> but people are groping to find light. We don't want to stand in the way. We don't want to hinder them from seeing the truth and hatred stops people from seeing the light of God, especially when it happens within that family. 
Have you ever met a family and they're just like so close to one another and they have so much fun? They have like game nights. That's like game nights, man. We had fight nights, right? <laughs> we tried to have game nights and there goes the Monopoly table across the room, you know. And Am I confessing too much here? Is that, you know, and you see this family and you just think, man, I'd like to be a part of that family. They've got it together, you know, and they come into our house and it's like, oh no, get me out of this home. You see, we are to be the kind of family that people say, and I want to be a part of that because even if we disagree, we love, we care. That's how the light is seen in us. And this forgiveness leads us to a place of resilience. Just like forgiveness leads us to friendship, it leads that friendship then into stability in the relationship with God and with each other so that we can do more than tolerate, but we can actually care about those people. There are people, the people who've hurt me most are the people who are in the church. And it's sad, but it's true. But that is my opportunity to grow. That is my opportunity to forgive. That's my opportunity to care and love instead of hate and love less and less and less. I want to give opportunity to be more, not less. And it's my opportunity to grow in this resilience in my relationship with God, to make that friendship with Jesus evident and seen, to not block it because now I actually am caring and concerned for the person who even hurt me. And I should be able to go into any room and be comfortable with whoever's there. Of course, if it's dangerous, that's a different thing. You know, if someone's wielding a knife or something, you can leave, okay? But otherwise, I need to be comfortable there. And then John moves into these last verses that the scholars that I've read have put it in two categories and you can really take these verses, verses 12 through 17, and you can kind of drop them or 12 to 14 and drop them just about anywhere in this book because it's almost like they just stand alone. And so some people say that he's talking to individual age groups and then others say that he's talking about seasons of life. I think he could be talking about both. But I think there's some interesting things that are here that I want to point out. Verse 12 says, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven on account of his name. And so he's talking to little children, those who are new in this family, those who are the babies of faith, those who have come into this relationship with God. And he says, I'm writing to you because your sins are forgiven on account of his name. But then he does something. He doesn't go in order. You know, you would start with children, then you would go to young people, then the older people. No, he jumps from the children and he goes immediately to fathers. And he says, I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. And so you have a relationship with God. So I'm writing to you because you already know these things. And then he goes to the young people. I'm writing to you young people because you have conquered the evil one. And he goes back to the children. I write to you children because you know the father. I write to you fathers because you know him who's from the beginning. I write to you young people because you are strong. 
and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. I, I think there's some interesting things here because John is bringing in this group of people, those who are new in the faith, those who are old in the faith, those who are strong in the faith or active in the faith. And he's bringing them together to say each of these seasons of life are important. You need to recognize them. You need to embrace them. It's interesting, too, because the fathers, he says the same thing to them in both times. He says something different to the children both times and different to the young people both times. But the fathers, the older people, says the same thing. Kind of boring, right? Kind of like, you know. You know this. And you see, you don't need more because you actually have experienced this and so you know him. And wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if we recognize that there is an important place in each of these seasons in our church, in our family, that those people who are new in faith, who don't know anything, they're precious. They have been forgiven for his name's sake. They now know the Father. They are now part of our family. We now embrace them. And then there's the people who've been in the faith, and they've been walking with the Lord a while so that they've gone through those things that they will go through. They've experienced those things. They can look back, and they could give wisdom to these people. And then there are the young people who are active they are strong they are conquerors they are people who are actively moving things along and how we need all of these together how this is what makes up the church that it isn't just a clique of people but that it is a group and a family you know it's so much more fun to go back say to disneyland when you have the kids with you right because I've been there. I know that here comes the abominable snowman from the Matterhorn, but I like it when they scream, right? Maybe I'm just twisted that way, but I, I just, it gives me the thrill of being on that ride again. Why? Because I get to see it now through your eyes. It's like, I know it's around this corner, but you don't. I want to see the excitement in your face. And now it excites my heart as well. We need each other. You see, when you're not here, we are not as strong. Whether you're young, whether you're old, or whether you're in the middle. When you're absent, there is a hole. I think so many times we see church as a place where we attend, not a family that we belong to. And, and to bring the light of this gospel, to bring the new commandment evident in us is to recognize that the light is shining, but it needs you to be a part of that and that you play an important part of that even if you've just come here and are just new in your faith or even if you're be, you've been here a while, you're stuck in your ways and you're no fun anymore. You just say the same thing over and over again, you know, or you're just a young adult and you just got this, I just desire to, I want to see something happen. I want to make something happen. Most nonprofits, most, not all, are started by young adults. Why? Because they want to change the world. They want to move into this. They want to do something. Don't we need that? We need all of that. And so I want to appeal to you as the family. Let us... Not say we are in the light. If we don't care about each other, 
enough to be with each other, enough to want to help each other, enough to see each other grow. Let's be friends with Jesus. Let's grow in this relationship so that we are strong in our family, that we develop from this friendship through the forgiveness a resilience that allows the light of God to shine and be seen in us. Let's pray. Father, it's difficult oftentimes to look at my own heart and to see the areas where I have been unforgiving. Father, to excuse my actions, to blame others for my lack of compassion or even my justification for hatred. And Lord, what I want and what I believe we all want as we are here this morning is to grow in depth with this friendship with you. Lord, to grow in such a way that we bring about an awareness of you. That if we would love one another, that it would be obvious we dwell with you that we don't block the light that comes from you. And so, Lord, may we hear the new commandment that John is writing to us. It's nothing new, but it's alive. May, may it be alive in us. May we see the darkness passing out of our life and see your light shining in it. May we deal with these areas of relationships, maybe with people who are here or people we know in the church somewhere. May we move towards healing. May we make room for love. May we grow in you. I want to give opportunity this morning if there is an area of unforgiveness in your heart towards somebody and God has illuminated that to you this morning and you want to acknowledge that and you want to move past that, would you raise your hand so we can pray for you and just a, a repentance of, I want to move. God bless you. All of you who are raising your hands, Lord, you see these things. Lord, you know it is common in us. Lord, it is why John is writing this to the church then and to the church now. So these people who've raised their hands, Father, they are confessing to you that they want change. May the light of your words illuminate their hearts and bring the love and change that it needs. May we be people who live in accordance to your will for your sake. Amen. Let's stand together. May you realize that whether you are a child you are old in the faith or you are young that these words are for you may you realize that you have something to give to everyone who's here god bless you may the light of god shine through you
You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.